Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howey. On today's episode of Leader Up, we're going to talk to Mr. Tom Greco, and Tom Greco is the TRADOC G2, and we're going to talk about the CES program, but we're we're going to start off and talk about global security and the environment uh, that we are in currently. And so, Mr. Tom Greco, thank you for uh, joining us today on Leader Up, and thank you for your time. Well, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to talk to the AMSC uh, audience. It's a very important program. And if the Army is going to be prepared to face the challenges of the next 10 years, you know, we've got to have r- rigorous education in the Army from the Army Management Staff College. It is absolutely critical to the future of the Army. The civilians are an absolutely essential professional part of the Army workforce. And so let's let's talk about a little bit about yourself so that our leader up audience kind of knows where you're coming from. Just a little bit about your background, how you got to be the TRADOC G2, and kind of how your background uh, informs you to address uh, global security and the global environment that we're in today. Yeah, well, let me uh, let me answer it this way, because I can think of nothing less interesting than hearing about my background. Um we are really in perhaps the most exciting time to be associated with the U.S. military since the interwar years between World War I and World War II. The very character of war is actually changing. And TRADOC, and especially AMSC, are critical factors in how we prepare for, how we prepare for what the Army is going to be called to do for the next 10 years. You know, think about it. Information artificial intelligence, autonomous and robotic systems, nanotechnology, neurotechnology, biotechnology, quantum, AI, all these things are transforming the way people live. And ultimately, the Army is a a people business. You know, think about it for a second. Nations wage war in the way they generate wealth. The Romans built roads, the Dutch and then the British, you know, they ruled the seas and had international trade. The U.S., we became a global power by virtue of the scope and scale of our industrial base. And now the way we generate wealth in the U.S. is through our information and service economy. You know, it's, it's those, those capabilities that give a nation its power base, which manifests itself in a manner in which it can approach warfare. So we in the United States have this tremendous opportunity if you think about our capabilities technologically. You know, I knew when uh, I, I came to TRADOC 10 years ago. Prior to this, I had been in Army Europe. 10 years ago, we were coming out of insurgency, and I knew TRADOC would be the place to be. Change in the nation. If you think think about change in the nation, think of something like segregation or just mechanization, the modernization of roads, Change in the nation starts with the Department of Defense and the needs of the Department of Defense. Change in the Department of Defense starts with the Army. We're the biggest service. We're the senior service. Change in the Army starts with TRADOC. Everyone 
in the army is a TRADOC product. Whether you're a soldier or a civilian, you're a TRADOC product. And change in TRADOC, it starts with the operational environment. So coming to TRADOC G2, I saw it as a great opportunity to affect the half a million soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, Guardians, civilians, and allies. You know, we train thousands of allies every year. TRADOC's the people command. And through training, leader development, and education, as well as doctrine, TRADOC is, is a really important place to be. My last assignment was over in Army Europe, where I led a, a multinational effort of U.S. and allied security services to do two things. We built, a par- we built the partnerships so that we could catch terrorists all over the world, not just in Europe. And then we trained our allies so that they could go with us to deployed areas like Iraq, like Afghanistan, and other places. So coming to TRADOC gives you a great opportunity, gave me a great opportunity to, to paint on a really broad canvas. The Army provide, the Army is the biggest service. You have the greatest amount of impact. As an Army civilian, you can have a really huge impact. Let me just add one last thing. As an Army civilian, you know, we have this, we have this thing, the Army, the Army Civilian Creed. I'm an Army civilian, a member of the Army team. We've got to change the fundamental nature of the Army Civilian Corps from being continuity in the things we think about ourselves to being, to being leaders, to, to not just being the continuity, but we have to be the expert. You know, if you're an Army civilian, we need to add a line in there about, I am an Army expert. I am an innovator. I am a leader. I am a world-class talent. And coming to TRADOC has given me the opportunity to do all those things. And so what kind of roles, you, you talked about the importance of, of Army civilians um, becoming leaders and exuding leadership. What kind of roles do you see Army civilian professionals performing in that environment that you just described? What kind of functions yeah, yeah. Uh, and what kind of roles do, do you think that we're called upon uh, to take on as members of the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah, that's, that's a really important question, David. Let me start by saying that we need to go back to three of the key findings from the 9-11 Commission. And in those key findings, you'll find exactly what the nation needs from its civil service, civil servants, especially Army civil servants. The key failures that the 9-11 Commission noted were failures of collaboration, failures of policy, and worst of all, failures of imagination. You know, we as Americans really won't tolerate failures of imagination. The failures of collaboration and failures of policy, maybe we can, maybe we can affect, maybe we can't. Depends upon where you are on the Army team. But the Army civilians, our primary role is the, as the technocrats, as the experts, is to collaborate, help shape policy, help execute policy, and then to be imaginative. You know, the workplace... The workplace is changing. We've got four different generations in the workplace right now, and they have different expectations. But across all of it, everyone wants to be seen, everybody wants to be improved, and everyone wants to be inspired. So in order to overcome those failures of collaboration, policy, and imagination, we as, we as Army civilians 
especially if you're in an army, if you're in a leadership role, you really have to see your people, improve your people, and inspire your people. And that's the fundamental aspect of what AMSC does. In terms of MDO, you know, to just switch gears a little bit, if you were to ask Julius Caesar, he'd tell you, you know, the world situation is pretty complex. Or if you were to talk to Napoleon or Eisenhower, they'd tell you the world's pretty complex. Some things are different about the world that we're dealing with today. You know, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, how pervasive and available information is, biotechnology. Heck, we just came out of a pandemic. The nature of how we live is changed. Think about 10 years ago in 2008 when you got your first iPhone. You know, think about the impact that has had on our lives. What kind of impact is AI going to have? So we need a civilian workforce in an MDO environment, which is prepared to pivot as the, as the situation changes. And let's, let's take this conversation even uh, broader. Uh, there's, there's an argument, of, a valid argument that I've heard people make that the United States has not won a war, uh, maybe some small battles, but has not won a war since 1945, the end of World War II. Uh, and so the question is, does the United States, does the United States military need a new way of, of fighting wars? Yeah, well, let's, uh, so I'm not sure I'm willing to sign up, honestly, David, that we haven't won a war. So when we looked at, as we came out of counterinsurgency and started thinking about large-scale ground combat operations, we spent a lot of time thinking about, thinking about what does it mean to win a war, right? You know, if, the, if your definition of war is to rubble a nation and, re, and like we did to Germany and Japan, yeah, well, we kind of haven't done that. Uh, we've had some victories in places like Panama and Grenada. Um, but ultimately, you know, ultimately, you know, without getting too Clausewitzian, ultimately winning a war is about using the military instrument of the dime, diplomacy, information, military, and economic, is the orchestration of those national instruments and national power to achieve the policy objectives or the national objectives. So if you look at Korea, you say, well, our policy objective there was to reinstate the 38th parallel and, and stop the North Koreans from taking over the South. And if you look at South Korea today, boy, they've got a pretty solid economy and a pretty good way of life. Still got a threat from North Korea, but you know we've called that a tie for a while. If you look at a map, of the, if you look at the Earth from space at night, you know, there's, it looks like South Korea is an island because there are no lights on North Korea. So I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure that first off, first off, I'm not sure that I'd sign up that we've never, we haven't won. I think we've done with, we've, in every instance, the military has done what the nation needed it to do. And, he, and to get to your point by answering it that way, yes, we do need a new way of war. Because I think we're all a little dissatisfied with the outcomes. And it's not necessarily from the tactical or even operational application of the military aspects of the dime. It's the central orchestration of all the elements of national power so that we can get to the policy objectives 
that the National Command Authority wants. So, yes, I think we need a different approach to war. Yes, I think, uh, you know, if you're if you're the military, you know, if every if all you got is a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. And we have to have an approach which looks not just at the tactical situation and the use of lethal firepower, but really has to look at how do we use diplomacy, information, and most importantly, you know, the, our economic might. We're still the world's predominant, you know, the world's dominant economy. And, and all of the things that you just mentioned pull us back into this concept for the United States Army, the United States military about MDO, multi-domain operations. And so does, d- is there needed to be a new theory uh, regarding winning in an MDO environment? I, absolutely. Um, so one Secretary of Defense remarked that we shouldn't call ourselves the, de- the Department of Defense. We should call ourselves the Department of Buying Planes and Ships and Tanks. And really, when you think about you know, defense, it's not really where the strategy needs to lie. When you think strategy, it's ends, ways, and means. Our national security strategy needs to be much more broadly based. And the, the military part of the national security strategy needs to be better, better nested. You know, I've heard Steve Bannock, the director of the Army Management Staff College, talk about a need for a Manhattan Project-like um, study where we look at how do we orchestrate all the instruments of national power. And he's absolutely right. If you think about it, where do the various parts of the national security, not military, national security structure or the executive branch of the government come together? Well, you have the National Security Council, and then you have the deputies meetings, and then you have interaction across agencies. But really, we, you know, if, if anything has vexed our ability to achieve national objectives since the end of World War II, it's been the inability to fully orchestrate all the elements of national power with the same alacrity with which we have been able to orchestrate the military tool of national power. And how is all of that relevant to let's let's look at someone who is a 26, 27, 30, 32 year old army civilian completed a, a fellows program uh, and they are coming into the, the force as an army civilian as part of the army profession. How is all of that relevant to that person and the kind of skills that the nation may call upon that person to have to support that that kind of a fight that our that our nation is uh, engaged in. We're at a really interesting, a really interesting time to be in the workforce, whether you're in the government workforce or you're in the private sector, and in some in some respects, the government sector may be lo- lagging. But one of the things we've learned from the pandemic is that we have this real opportunity to revolutionize what we think about work. You know, for example, you know, there are four generations inside the workforce. And I'll just quickly talk about kind of how I see the four different generations in the workforce. 
So but I'm a boomer, you know, and you hear okay boomer a lot, right? When when my boomer shows, I'm kind of, you know, traditionally boomers are competitive, kind of driven. We value visibility. We want people to see our work. We want recognition for our accomplishments. We're certainly not technology natives. Uh, we're retiring later than other generations. And I know the generations behind us would kind of hope that some of us boomers would move on. And, you know, but the fact of the matter is uh, we resent ageism and we value face-to-face interaction. The Gen Xers who are right behind us, boy, they can't wait to take over the leadership of the workforce, right? They value autonomy. They seek leadership roles. Uh, they're well-educated. They value learning. They prefer clear delineation between their work and their personal lives. They're critical thinkers. And to sometimes us boomers, we'll look at a Gen Xer and think, well, that's a little cynical, but it's not. They're just critical thinkers. And they really appreciate work flexibility. And that work flexibility really translates even more when you start talking about the next generation, which is the millennials. They value collaboration. Millennials are technology natives. They're motivated by the meaning of their work. They seek actionable feedback and they really want to be recognized, and they should be recognized for their accomplishments. More importantly, though, more so than the older generations, they want their voice to be heard, and they want they want to make suggestions, and they want somebody to pay attention to suggestions. And then finally, the Gen Zs, they're optimistic, you know, they value social responsibility and diversity, and they have high technology expectations. You know, they don't have traditional approaches to finance or education, or a work, uh, they, and they see they really want a, a lot of different developmental opportunities, Army Management Staff College, detail work assignments, um, personal, personal development. Uh, while they want stability, they also want flexibility. So what does this mean? So you have these four generations in the workplace. You have all these new technologies like Teams and other, you know, and other capabilities. So what it means in a workplace is that the standard nine to five is going to be replaced by working anytime. Um, the brick and mortar workplaces that I grew up in are going to be augmented and maybe even replaced by working anywhere at any time. I had a pretty well-defined career path, but that's going to be replaced by individualized and dynamic career paths. So if you're a young aspiring civil servant and you want to rise to positions of increased responsibility, the traditional cookie cutter career path is probably not what you're going to face because the career, your career life cycle is going to be much more dynamic. You know, organizations have to flatten. Junior voices have to be heard. And junior people have got to develop the skills on how, to, how do you lead up. When, you, you know, when, you're, when you're actually at the work level, you see the problems uh, how do you how do you put a voice to that and help your superior, your seniors, not superiors, your seniors, uh, figure out how to how to uh, how to make things better? Um, so we're going to see uh, networks in place of silos. You know, the army budgets right now we have pegs in the army. When we talk about combat operations, we have war fighting functions, maneuver, fires, intelligence, right? Those are going to be replaced by networks. As a boss, I find myself doing less directing and a lot more coaching. You know, I don't really have control 
I really want to empower uh, my workforce. And directing, I don't, you know, I don't say do this. And a lot of times it's, hey, you know, let's, and I try to show the things that we, we need to do. You know, I grew up on emails and briefings and PowerPoint and meetings. But really what we're going to see in the future are things like collaboration, storytelling, and trial and error. The bottom line is, you know, I grew up in a large measure in an army that saw itself as a factory, a very process-driven, repeatable factory. And really where we're going and really where young aspiring civil servants need to put their energy is how do they make themselves competitive in a laboratory where planning is replaced by experimentation and rigid structures and processes are, are, are replaced by experimentation. And that kind of brings us back to what we started off talking about, which is the civilian education system, because uh, we here at AMSC would like to think that we are able to influence that and influence those the, those uh, younger generations to exude leadership in their organizations. So I just want to talk to you as, as maybe not necessarily as the TRADOC G2, but as a member of the senior executive service who spent lots and lots of time around the army. Why is it important for members of the army civilian corps to uh, complete their grade equivalent CES course? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, an AMSC is is so important, right? The amount of thought that the faculty and staff at AMSC put into each of the different classes, it's truly designed, truly designed across the board, across the Army, for individuals at a certain level of responsibility to have the knowledge, skills, behaviors, attributes that they require to perform at that level, right? So, First thing we need to talk about in terms of being a civilian as opposed to being in the military is there's a difference between a pay grade and a rank, right? When you get promoted, you get promoted sergeant first class or major, you know, that's a rank, right? You, no matter what job you do, that's your rank. When you're a civil servant, you get, you get, selected, you get selected for a job. And one of the things that Army Management Staff College does is it specifically designs the curriculum for the civil servant at a certain level in their career to absolutely have the knowledge, skills, and behaviors they need at the level of the point of the career where they are, where they are currently. And the, thing, the great thing about Army Management Staff College is it's not training. It's truly education. It arms the civil servant with the ability to expand their thinking and apply it across a whole different set of use cases. So you don't just get better at the job you're in now. It provides you the basis for the kinds of skills you're going to need to succeed in future positions, whether they be at the same level of responsibility or at a higher level of responsibility. So that's, you know, the great thing about the Army Management Staff College. The other thing I would tell you is whenever I mentor, and I have a fair number of folks who I, who I, who I work with, the first thing I tell them is, um, find out what your superpower is, right? And I'm not talking about x-ray vision or leaping tall buildings in a single bound, but 
some people are brilliant with numbers and they're really good at at mathematics or spreadsheets. Some people are brilliant at orchestrating a process. Some people are fantastic briefers. Some folks have expertise in statistical analysis. Whatever your whatever your superpower is, and the further you go up, the more you want to refine your superpower. When you're at the worker level, you've got to be good at the job that you're in, but you want to start building your skills and, and knowledge skills and behaviors so that you can be competitive at a higher level. If someone says to me, I want to be an SES, I say, okay, so what SES job do you want? And then you have to look at your career and what are the knowledge, skills, and behaviors that are going to make you the most competitive for that dream job. And the great thing about Army Management Staff College, you go through those classes and you're changed. You know, you, you get the kind of education that teaches you how to be a learner. And when I talked about the change in the workplace, it's really critical to be a lifelong learner. And Army Management Staff College is absolutely essential for civil servants to learn how to be learners to succeed in the civil service. The last thing I'm going to say is a lot of civilians equate professional development to the classes that you went to, the schools. Well, I'll tell you, when I look at a resume, and I, the first thing I look to do, look for is to see, have you done the required Army Management Staff College classes or, or equivalent, right? I, that's the first, first thing I check. The other thing I check is, has this, has this individual in his resume routinely been given opportunities to excel, to assume greater responsibility, to assume the kinds of responsibilities which lead me to understand how they're going to be successful in the future. And the last thing I look at is if somebody's got a litany of a thousand classes, they're probably not going to have that career path of, of hard assignments because their organization, you know, if I send someone to Army Management Staff College, I'm making an investment in them and in, and in the Army. But if they're, if, Somebody is just a, an edu- a, a professional development tourist going to school after school. That, that to me is pretty much an indicator that he's not, he or she is not the A-team player, right? So Army Management Staff College, as part of the professional military education, assignment history of, in- of increased responsibility and being a key player who's been successful. And then what are you doing in your personal life to improve yourself? And I'm not just talking about civilian education. You know, if you've got an interest or a hobby, there's this great book by a fellow by the name of Epstein called Range. It's how do uh, generalists succeed in a highly specialized society, in a highly specialized environment. For Army civil servants, we want you to be specialized. But as you get into more and more senior leadership positions, right, Army Management Staff College teaches you how to learn so that you can become more of a generalist. And what you'll find is that you can learn things, um, you learn things playing chess or doing ballroom dancing, and which you might not understand why, but basically the way it, 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 attra- it forces your synapses in your brain to interact in a different way, you become much more creative in your problem solving. So at last, I'll you know just close it up. AMSC is absolutely important. 
it's been very well thought out. It teaches you how to learn. And we're quickly becoming a civil service workforce, which needs to continuously learn how to learn. And that point that you made about uh, achievement, uh, learning new things from uh, from other types of activities, uh, that's something that we have talked about a lot in the classroom, which is simply that achievement begets more achievement. So if, if you learn how to do one thing well, it bleeds over into other parts of your life. That That's a great point. Um, it's something so that we Peter do. Peter Senji talks about that in the fifth discipline, right? Success to the successful is one of the, uh, one of the things he talks about. Right. And the other thing that I thought was a great comment is the idea of the superpower, uh, which, uh, and that is one of our, our goals when I was in the classroom was for each student to walk away with an understanding of what their unique strength is. And it kind of ties back to that old Peter Drucker quote, leverage your strengths, shore up your weaknesses. But if you can be in a position to leverage your strengths, that's better because number one, you're good at it and you do it easily. And and people are drawn to that strength when you do it with, with such ease as, as you pointed out. You know, it also gets to, it also gets to your personal brand, right? You know, as you get more and more senior and you're competing for positions against other highly qualified candidates, you know, not getting selected, there's just a lot of talent, right? So what's your personal brand? And what are you, know, what are you good at? If, you, if you've stayed true and really honed, as Stephen Covey says, sharpen the saw, if you've really honed your personal skills and developed your superpower, you, know, you, you have a much better chance of being branded for the kinds of jobs that, that you'd want to pursue. You know, the um, personal branding in, in its what do you wear, how do you carry yourself, what's your presence, what is, what is, what is your word choice, you know, when, which are, is your conversation starter, you know, so what book are you reading? Or is it, you know, do you think Kanye is going to get back with uh, Kim, right? I mean, you, what, are you bring, what are you bringing to the workplace? And I want to kind of close this discussion out with um, a little bit about the senior executive service of which you're a member of. And I would like to, to hone in on the symbol of the senior executive service, which is that uh, keystone. keystone. And I just, what, what does that mean to you uh, and the job that, that you perform and that other uh, members of the senior executive service that you work with that are your peers what does that symbol mean uh, to you and how should we as other folks in the Army Civilian Corps see that symbol? So the keystone is the center the center scone that holds all the other stones in place in an arch, right? So, and that's exactly what senior executives do. When I think about the difference between being a GS-15 or being a member of the senior executive service, when you're a GS-15 or even a colonel, if you're in the military, you're held responsible for the outcomes that your, that your organization produces. When you're a member of the senior executive service, you're held responsible for outcomes which you may not personally be able to influence. You have to build the, the coalitions 
across, away from the keystone, across the other stones of the arch in order to advance your organization's mission. So the key thing, the key difference I would tell you is as a, as a 15, you're very much responsible to get your organization, uh, get your organization to achieve the outcomes that it's, that it's required to perform. But as a senior executive, in keeping with the, the, the notion of the symbol of the keystone, I am responsible, I am held responsible for having broader impacts than just my organization. My, 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 I am held responsible for building broad coalitions to have broader impacts. And thank you so much for that answer, Mr. Tom Greco. And this kind of brings our discussion to a close. And on behalf of our Leader Up audience, I just want to thank you for uh, for your time and sharing your thoughts about Army Civilian Corps, CES program, and about the kind of global security environment that we're working in. So thank you for being with us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. And so, Leader Up audience, uh, what did you think about the comments from uh, Mr. Greco, the Trade.G G2? What's it mean to you? And uh, what is your superpower? And how can you continue to make yourself uh, better as a leader in the Army Civilian Corps? And uh, let us know what your thoughts are about that. And join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.